Hidden Gems, Episode 10, Tasty Morsels. Welcome to Hidden Gems, a board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. I'm Jason. And I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show. Yes, welcome back, folks, as always. All right. Yes. Today is a special day. It is. Gentlemen, today is a milestone in the podcast. We've had a few different special guests on so far. We've had Mike Baglio, Mr. Bill Arney, and today we're privileged to have the first of our wives make an appearance on the show, my wife, Talia. Welcome to the podcast, Woo! babe. Woo! Hey, hey. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, Talia. It's awesome. This is a big moment. I know she is excited to be here. She wanted to ride on the coattails of the fame of our podcast now that we're, you know, <laughs> getting recognized in supermarkets and you just... <laughs> Can't oh, yeah. even live a normal life now. I can't even go out to eat. Just getting swarmed <laughs> by fans. We're probably going to get mobbed in the airport next week, but it just comes with the territory, right? All, all three of our fans. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, and also the added benefit of now she is also a nerd for being a podcast That's right. contributor no, about board no, games. No. <laughs> Talia Alley, podcast, board game yeah. podcast yeah. influencer. You stepped across the threshold. She there's, has. No, there's no going back. <laughs> she thought it was when she was forced to play D&D. But now it's that she's in a board game podcast. There's no turning back now. That's right. You're just one of the nerds now. <laughs> nope. And by the way, folks, I was joking about that. We're not actually being mobbed by adoring fans, at least not yet. Do, do you was. really think you need to explain that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. I you know. I, I'll say that's going to be a big moment for me if that ever happens where one of us actually gets recognized somewhere. But right. that's, that, a, that's a long ways off. Is that your dream? We're going to have to go somewhere much nerdier than the grocery store, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. Maybe at Origins. Yeah, maybe we'll eventually get to a convention at some point maybe, that'd be maybe. fun get all be real big nerds and wear our hidden gems t-shirts <laughs> that's right wearing our merch yeah all right well like i said it's awesome to have my wife talia on the show wife of 16 years 16 years See, you don't even know. See, that makes you feel even we better. We got married in 2005. It's, so that's yeah, right. That, that, it's all that, a blur that now. Yeah, that was, that was risky. You're, yeah, it was risky. You're, you're, you're lucky that she didn't remember, too. You know me. I take risks. So as we always do, we have our special guests on. We'd like to give you just a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your gaming background, if you please. Let's see. Gaming background, I guess, is similar to Chris's. When I started playing board games... Was in when you were in med school, I, I guess. Think so. Settlers, with, Settlers of Catan. With the Laytons. With the Laytons, and we played a lot of Settlers. We did. We did. We Which I enjoyed. Of. I guess we didn't play a lot of board games when you were in residency because you were busy. What are some other games that you've played and enjoyed besides just Settlers of Catan? That's a game that everyone's maybe familiar with. Have you played any lesser known games that you enjoyed? Our favorite card game, we played a lot. I can't remember the name of it currently. Hanabi? Yes. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. We played yeah, a yeah. lot of Hanabi. We did. Lot, a lot. Yeah. Hanabi. We actually got quite good at that game. So if you're yeah. familiar with Hanabi, um, we got a perfect score several times. And we actually got to the point where we incorporated in the sixth suit, I believe. Yeah, the rainbow, the rainbow. suit. The rainbow suit. And if not perfect on that one, we got pretty darn close a couple of times, wow. if yeah. I remember right. It's a big deal. It's yeah. probably why we stopped playing it. Because after a while, you just, well... Kind of mastered it. Yeah. yeah. Kind so, of had that language going. Casey and I actually played Hanavi on our first date. I did know that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. yeah that's Which awesome. I only learned about from playing with you guys. Yep. That's right. Such a good two person game. 
awesome game. So when you're not raising four boys <laughs> and playing board games with your husband, what other kind of things do you enjoy doing? What do I like to do in my spare time? <laughs> Let's see. I like to watch a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. I have an obscene amount of shows that I watch. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, to be honest. And some that probably no one else watches anymore, <laughs> like Grey's Anatomy. Don't judge me. Okay. I've been reading, reading a lot lately. Yes, you I have. I used to do that a lot before the kids, but little children don't really allow for reading. So I've been picking that up a lot more. I love a good thriller, a good drama, easy reads. I do not read anything serious. Nothing philosophical nope. like, like, like the <laughs> nope. Sandman? Nope. Real quick reads. Beach reads. Talia gives me a hard time about my graphic novel. She says they're not really books. They're not. They're <laughs> That's not. insulting. A large comic. Yeah. Sorry. I'm going to get some slack I, that. I would probably agree with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Y'all be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy them. I'm not knocking on them. Yeah. It's just a, it's a different it's medium. Different. Yeah. When they're not, they're not in paragraphs. It's not a book. <laughs> when they say different, that's code for it's too simple, I guess, with my picture books. Whatever. <laughs> my books are pretty simple. <laughs> I think that's about it. Right. I like to shop. I like to drink wine. Yes, you do. <laughs> I cool. think just to get to know you a little bit more, because I know you don't like to talk about yourself. I don't at all. So I had intentionally planned to force you to talk about yourself more <laughs> <laughs> against your will, because I know how much you hate it. I think we have a couple more questions for you. Cameron, do you have any more questions you would want to ask? I do. You mentioned it, and I was thinking about one of my favorite times that I've ever played games with Talia, and that was when I co-hosted, I believe, Whitney Riddle's uh birthday party several years ago running a D&D campaign for her birthday and she forced all of her friends including you <laughs> to play Dungeons and Dragons together. That was an awesome and night. <laughs> personally I had a blast and I was wondering if you would like to tell everyone what was the name race and class of your first D&D character. Oh my god! Do you remember? I have no idea. <laughs> no, no idea. I'm sure Cameron probably you do, does. Though, do you remember sure. what race and class are nope. i remember nothing about it <laughs> i was really hoping that you would remember because that was a fun night yeah and you did so, so well I and did. you did I for a remember. minute you started to get into it i didn't hate it i think i told chris that i didn't hate it it's not something i would do all the time uh-huh. but i didn't hate it i also gave that to you for valentine's day one year do you remember that you don't remember Yes, I remember. No, he doesn't. Yes. If you saw I his face, right? If, you could, if only you could see his face. Wait, you played Dungeons and Dragons with him No, for I gave Valentine's him a free a ticket for me to play Dungeons and Dragons with him and whoever. You don't remember that? Did I use that ticket? Yeah, we played. I mean, you were saying, we've still got one of those laying around. We need to get on <laughs> that. Cash that in. Who was that? I don't remember who it was with. I don't either. I don't remember that. We did. A memorable Valentine's yeah. Day. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, apparently it was great. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Wow! I'm so doing... twice I've played D and D twice. Oh, that okay. It's just what Tally was hoping for—that it would get forgotten and lost in a corner. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It was fun. Well, I'll just ask you a couple more quick, rapid-fire questions here okay. from my prepared list. Right. <clears throat> wow. Mm. What's your favorite board game? Come back to it. What? You can't come back to one of my favorite board games. It's the easiest question. It is for people to play board games just, literally just every Strasburg day of their life. The make googly eyes at you. No. How about gross. how about Dominion? No, probably not. Sure, Dominion's great. Alhambra. Okay, so I'm going to read. Oh, it. Okay. I do like Alhambra. Okay, we're, we're cutting all that. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite board game? Alhambra. Okay. That's too quick. They're going to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We have an outtake sec- section. 
<laughs> what is your favorite nerdy movie? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Nice. Great answer. How many games do you think I own? 876. Way off. <laughs> is it, is it uh, it's grown? <laughs> Noted. There's <laughs> <laughs> a personal motivation behind that one. Right. On a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being the most nerdy, how would you rate me when we were dating, and how would you rate me now? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I would probably have rated you a 6 when we were dating, and I'd rate you about a 9 plus right now. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. We're going to have to save that for whenever Jenny's on the That's show. Right. I'm sure so, she would have a I strong totally opinion on that. Here's the follow-up question. Did he become more nerdy, or do you think he was hiding how nerdy he was when you were dating? I think he probably a little of both. I think he would probably became more nerdy, but I think also he was hiding it, because he have... liked to be the cool guy on campus. Yeah. Behind his no. 4.0 GPA. <laughs> I really blossomed into my nerddom. <laughs> And then the last question, most importantly, who is the meanest player in our game group? Yeah. I'm going to have to say you. That's a good answer, but I'm sorry. The answer we're looking for is Bill Arney. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good try, though. The answer is always Bill. (laughs) You probably think of him as a very nice and congenial guy. You would actually probably really enjoy playing games with Bill because he's very mean to me in games. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing with us, Talia. It's awesome to learn a bit more about you. And you talked a little bit about what you're into now. You said you've been reading some books. How about you guys? What have you guys been into here lately? Yeah, I was trying to think about that before the show. We recorded our last episode so recently. I'm trying to think of what's actually happened since then. Has anything changed? I will say I go in phases with this, but I have been tinkering around with game design. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a minor hobby of mine that I like to, to tinker around with and try to see if I can come up with, with something. It'll probably never pan out to be anything at all, really, but I have been back into it a little bit. If I ever have anything to share, I will uh, bring it up on the show. And I'm sure with all the spare time we have and we're not reviewing for the podcast, we'll have time to play test it for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Several times. Several times, sure. yeah. What about you, Cameron? Yeah, so I think as I've mentioned before on the show, I'm I'm pretty into woodworking and I recently moved into a place where I've actually got like a pretty good sized shop. And so I've been focusing on building the shop out and acquiring a few more tools. But I also made the decision recently to actually start a woodworking business. Just a small side business could become something in the future uh, a little bit bigger, but that remains to be seen. But I've actually been like formally figuring out how to open the business and make plans and doing a lot of drawing of stuff in SketchUp and making plans to actually build what's called a solar kiln for drying lumber. And of course, I'm doing all of this about two months ahead of becoming a father for the first time. So we'll <laughs> the timing much, is perfect. We'll see how much I get done once uh, the little guy arrives. Lots of life changes. Yeah. yeah. Children and solar kilns. Yeah. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's typical Cameron right That's there. Right. Awesome, man. Well, for me, I'm super excited to talk about what I've been into. It's a TV show. I know that whenever I talk about things, I sound like I'm just excited about everything, and I really am. I get very enthusiastic (laughs) about nerdy things, but this one, folks, is exciting. This show is probably the best show that I've watched and the one that I've binged the most probably since the first season of Stranger Things. Wow. I'm not Hmm. all the way through it yet because I've had teaching obligations that have been slowing me down, but I started watching Raised by Wolves. Oh, yeah. You've been talking about starting that for a while. Yeah. 
It's as good as I had hoped. It's better than I hoped, actually. Oh. Talia's over here shaking her head. <laughs> it's actually not. Is it a drama or a documentary? Oh, no. It's a science fiction TV show. So the director of this show is Ridley Scott. Oh, if you wow. don't know, Ridley yeah. Scott is the director of Alien and Aliens and all of the other iterations. I knew that. You should be proud of me. <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> and I will say, the feeling that I got when I started watching Raised by Wolves is a very strong alien feel. If I had not known this was directed by Ridley Scott, I would have a strong suspicion. In fact, this isn't giving away too much, but when I started watching, I actually looked to see if these universes were the same universe. Oh, huh. It's that similar. Wow. Okay? If these existed in the same timeline. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, so explain the plot. It's it's like an AI is raising a human child yeah, or something, yeah. right? So I'll explain some of the plot points. i got to be careful, though, because there are spoilers all over the place mm-hmm. in this show. But basically the idea is this ship lands on this foreign planet and it's being piloted by two androids, okay? And they are being tasked with raising children on this planet because Earth is in a post-apocalyptic war and it's being destroyed completely. So they've been tasked by a group to inhabit that planet and raise life there. But there are also a group of survivors that escape on something known as the Ark. And they are also trying to inhabit the planet. And they're like the religious group, and the android group is the atheist group. Okay? And that's all I'll say about it. If you like a show where you're trying to figure out what is going on here, Mm -hmm. you're constantly trying to figure out What is going on on this planet? What's going on with these androids? Who is the antagonist here? That's really an interesting thing of the show. What is the smoke monster? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. We still don't know. (laughs) We still don't know. You're trying to figure out who's the villain here. And I'm still not sure. It's very interesting in that way. I love this show. I'm looking forward to finishing it now. What service is it on? HBO Max. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, HBO Max. It's a bit violent. Ah. Means I gotta watch it by myself. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot Casey of. Casey will not tolerate anything. Really that. intense death scenes. <laughs> what episode are you on? I'm on episode six, I think. Can't be worse than Invincible. It's not, because I started watching that too, and you're right. It's totally worse than The Voice. <laughs> <laughs> that show is insane. Yeah. Over the top. But, anyways, Raised by Wolves. Check it out. It's awesome. It's weird. So far, it's not weird. <laughs> Talia watched the first episode. She's like, I can't do this. Too crazy. I made it through the whole first episode. You though. did. You gave it a good try. All right, so it's been a while since we've done anything with the mailbag, and mm-hmm. we actually had a couple other questions pop up in the guild recently, so I thought it might be good to try to answer some of those. So Let's do it. The first one comes from James Lamb, uh, and he asked, how many times do you play a game before you make up your mind about it? Does a truly awful first play just make you rule out all others? I would actually like to go first on this one because I feel like I talk about this a lot with you guys, maybe a little bit more behind the scenes as we're preparing for the show. And we always try to play games certainly more than once. And I frequently do badly (laughs) on my first play. And so I am really committed to giving a game another try, even if I just completely bomb. Because it's never fun to listen to someone just like trash on a game because they did badly. So usually I try to take an approach that's, well, that was probably me. I probably missed something or I know that I missed something crucial and figured out what are the rules I had wrong for the first third of the game or something like that. I mean, three times is great, but at least a second follow up and just clear the board. Don't try to bring anything into it from how things went last time and just try to play it a pure second time yeah yeah i feel like chris you give me crap all the time because i'm quick to give my judgment on a game the first time i play it this game is broken yeah this is a dominant strategy (laughs) 
Because I, I love to chime in on that stuff as I'm playing a game, even for the first time. But in the first round, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. During the rules explanation, sometimes. This is arbitrary. <laughs> but I do agree. All that being said, I do for sure do that. But I, I give games a fair shake, right? I, I will say all kinds of things about what I think about them on the first play. But I reserve judgment for several plays in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say two to three plays at least to get a real feel for a game. Yeah. I think my answer to this question would actually be Tom Vassell's answer to this question. When he's asked how many times you need to play a game to review it, he says, enough. And he knows what that is. Mm -hmm. That might be one play. That might be five plays, right? I don't think you can say, I play every game three times, right? It's just when you feel like you've played it enough to review it. Yeah. Now, for me, I like to play them at a minimum three times. And I've been pretty spot on with that because I have such a wonderful, generous, understanding wife who lets me play games (laughs) a lot. That's right. Uh, which I appreciate. So at minimum three times. I know Santa Fe Rails, I played it like six or seven times. I was going to say, I remember you saying, I'm not ready to review this. Yeah. And it was after your fourth play. Right. And you were like, I'm just, it's not time yet. It, it wasn't. I, I wanted to do it right and not do it a disservice. But I know like Smiley Face, I played it once. And I was like, I don't need to play this game again. Yeah. It's junk. You know? You Sometimes know? you do know. And I think that's a good thing to point out, right? Is less our listeners come across believing that, oh, well, the Hidden Gems guys say that you should play a game at least more than once. And I, I mean, generally, you probably should. But if you hate a game after the first play and it's not because you just did poorly, don't feel obligated to commit to it. Yeah. I know for Cavum, if I'd only played Cavum once, yeah. it wouldn't be on my shelf right now. Right. And that would be a dang shame because yeah. that game is amazing. It but would be I'd on be, my shelf. It would be on your shelf. It would be even a worse shame. No, that would be great. Because <laughs> the first time I was just like, this game's meh. And right. then I played it again and again and I was like, oh, wow, this game's pretty excellent. Right. But that's why you got to be careful about passing judgment on one play. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Well, we had one other question from the infamous Bill Arney. The villain Bill. <laughs> <laughs> He asked, what game have you played that you're quote-unquote pretty to definitely sure has a strategy to win, but you absolutely don't have a handle on it, or feel even if you played it a hundred times, you might not ever get it? I could see why Bill would ask this question. He has a hard time grasping games. Oh, oh. man. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Just kidding. That's I mean, not true. He's not even here to defend he's himself. He's not. Actually, in his defense, the last time we played basketball, he wrecked us. Both times. Yeah. That yeah. I played with him. Yeah. He's... Bill's a a good player. For me, I would say the game that I could never figure out was A Few Acres of Snow. I don't know Mm. if you guys ever played that one or not. I I played it once online. It was pretty opaque. I had a hard time. It is. And so it's an area control deck builder war game, which sounds awesome, right? All that checks boxes. I'm like, yeah, I want to try that. And for whatever reason, I just could not figure out how to construct my deck in a way to where I could be successful. I played it on Yukata a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just kept getting killed by everybody. I couldn't figure the sieges out. I couldn't figure out how to take territory. I consider myself to be a pretty good deck builder player, but a few acres of snow, just couldn't figure it out. It's a tricky one. Yeah. I will say, just off the top of my head, one for me, I think would be Splendor. This is not a game that's questionable whether there's actually a definite strategy. There for sure is a definite strategy, but I think I've played Splendor, I don't, who knows how many times. I don't know that I've ever won a game of Splendor, <laughs> and I don't know why that is. It's not that complicated of a game, but for whatever reason, I mean, I can score points, but I don't think I've ever won. It's just tricky. Yeah. 
So um, definitely Scythe, but <laughs> I won't go on a tirade about Scythe. Again. I, I probably just need to actually suck it up and play it again. There was a game, we, we played it several times a while back, and I can't remember quite the name of it. It's Empires or Age of Empires. or It's yeah. this giant, giant box. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. takes a super long time to play. Empires Age of Discovery. Yeah. Glenn Drover, yeah. That one, I feel like it was, if I didn't finish Dead Last every time, yeah, I was pretty close. And it wasn't like I didn't enjoy the game. It was just, I don't think I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Worker placement with area control. Yeah. It's an interesting mechanic for sure, but a, a little bit odd. Yep. Tell you, you got an answer for this one? Think not, of any? Not really one that I have played a lot that I couldn't get a handle on, but Wingspan, the first time I played that oh, game. yeah. I came in dead last. I had no idea what I was doing, but I haven't played it again. But it's just birds. <laughs> it's just birds. <laughs> just little tiny birds. <laughs> I got to the end and I was wow, screwed that up. Yeah, if memory served me right, and I think with Wingspan, this gets a lot of people, is not understanding how those bird cards can fire off of each other in the row for all those bonuses you can get, yeah. tucking cards and all that stuff. You have to be really watchful and yep. line up all of the synergies and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did not do that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember. That's, that's an easy thing to <laughs> not bad. get the first play. All right, well, that's a wrap on the mailbag, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Keep sending them in, folks. We, we enjoy answering these mailbag questions, and we need more questions, so feel free to send them in. We'll answer them. Yep. Mail time, mail time, mail time, <laughs> mail time. <laughs> We're making that the new intro. <laughs> so uh, we always have a cocktail every episode. What are we drinking tonight, Chris? Yeah, so tonight we're talking about games by Corna van Morschel, a designer from the Netherlands. So in honor of Corna and his games, we decided to do the cocktail Dutch 75. You probably have not heard of this particular drink, and that's because this is actually a variation on a more popular drink known as the French 75. Do you guys mm-hmm. know this one? Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, I was going to ask if that was the same. Not No lavender. So a French 75 is very much like a Tom Collins, Mm. which I love, but with champagne in it instead of club soda. Mm -hmm. So the French 75 is gin, simple syrup, lemon juice, and sparkling wine or champagne. So the only difference between the French 75 and the Dutch 75 is that instead of gin, you use vodka. Okay. Yeah. And that's it. That's the only variation. Very simple drink, shaken and served that way. Really nice. It's yeah. kind of reminiscent of a brunch type drink, a mimosa or something yeah. like that. It's nice and tart. It's very good. Yeah. It's tasty. It is. It a is. tasty morsel. Tasty might say. morsels. <laughs> so, yeah, Cornavan Morsel. Like I said, we're talking about his designs tonight from Quali Games. I had hoped to be able to do a little bit of information on Corna like we do for Reiner Knizia. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of information on Corna and his background online. And that's because he's just a more unknown designer, which is unfortunate because a lot of his Underappreciated. Design, underappreciated, you might, you might say. And that's unfortunate because a lot of his games are quite good. I had actually reached out to him and we were trying to coordinate doing an interview or getting a little info, but we just couldn't make our schedules work. But looking forward to talking about him and his company and his designs. If you're familiar with any game by Corner Van Morsel, it's probably Factory Fun or Factory Funner is his newest edition of that design. But he has many published designs, over wow, 20. Cool. We're going to talk about three of those tonight. Well, we have an important transition point here. <laughs> Talia, would you like to do the honors? Yeah, I forgot what was this. <laughs> let's, let's... That's it. That's it. Let's get to the games. Let's do it. World League. A new basketball league has been founded. 
Each season, the team managers can make their team better by buying good players from the transfer market. Build up the best team. Purchase good new players and get assistance from a trainer, player agent, banker, or even the referee to win the trophies. Are you the best team manager? I don't know. Are we? <laughs> Are you? <laughs> you can be in this game. <laughs> Basketball, published in 2009 by Quali Games. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 4,146. As all these games designed by Corn Van Marshall. How did I hear about this game? Because this game is definitely more obscure, so this one is another Tom Vassell recommendation. Tom tends to like quality games quite a bit, and I heard about this from him specifically because he loved the theme of this game. Tom is very much into theme in games. It's very important to him, maybe even to a fault sometimes, (laughs) to be quite honest. But he did love the theme of this one, and it caught my attention, so I picked that one up. So in basketball, what you're doing is you're a basketball team manager, and you are trying to construct successful basketball teams. The game takes place over six years or six championship seasons, and what you're trying to do in this game is construct the best teams to try to win championships in the six seasons to score points. Before I get into the specifics of the rules, I think it's important to understand how the players and the teams work. Mm -hmm. This is critical to understanding the rules. So you'll draft players through an auction, and every player has values. Each player has a rectangular cardboard token associated with them, and it's got six partitions or segments associated with it. And within each segment, it has a differing number of basketballs. The higher the number of basketballs, the more skilled that player is for that particular season. And that's important to understand because in some seasons, they will be weaker than they are in other seasons. So, for example, the rookie has a really weak score in his first couple of seasons, and then he comes on really strong later in his career, while another player who's more of a veteran might be really strong when you draft him but then he kind of peters off as the game goes on in addition when you draft these players you're going to put them on a player board in five different positions just like you would put them in a basketball team roster to have the best team possible that scores you the most points you want to have a diversified team you want to have one center one point guard one power forward but you can mix it up you could have two centers on your team you could have five centers on your team if you wanted but if you do that the strength of your team will decrease for every ununique position that you have your team strength gets bumped down a notch basically so that's real important to understand if you want to understand how to play the game so the way it works is at the beginning of the season we'll draft players this is a standard English style auction bid will go around and around high bidder wins pays his bid everybody else take their bids back and you take that player and you put them on your board after that draft the season champion is decided like i said this will happen through six seasons so we'll determine a winner once the points are awarded you'll earn income so one thing i didn't mention is that some of the players will generate money for you to use in the future years auctions for additional players to draft But generally speaking, the stronger the player, the less money they generate for your team Mm -hmm. for future auctions. Thematically, that's supposed to represent you're paying them more. Yeah, some of them bring in zero, which actually subtracts from your income. Right. Right. You would get no money. But it's expensive to have good players on your team. Having a championship, you know, Steph Curry ain't cheap. Right. So you got to pay for those players. After you earn income, you have a thing called the season bar that will shift down. And basically that covers up all prior seasons so that everybody can see what the new values for the players are for that season. 
You'll update your team strength. You'll refill the market. And then the last thing you'll do before drafting your team again is you will hire specialists. And specialists will give you all certain types of benefits and perks. One, for example, is the agent, the Jerry Maguire. (laughs) And basically what he lets you do is he will let you match a bid. So instead of having to exceed a bid, say Cameron bids 3000 I can match him at 3000 and be beating him instead of having to exceed to 4000 or higher. Then if you win with the agent, you actually pay 1000 less than what you actually bid. So he saves you money. Mm-hmm. Pretty useful. And that's basically the structure of a round. We'll do that six times. We'll award championships at the end of each year, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. Oh, and one more thing I'll add, and this is important. In addition to your championship points, the strength of your team in the final season is added to that championship score, and then whoever has the highest total score wins the game. That's generally how you play basketball. So I left out a few things, but that gives you a general idea. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the thoughts in this review, we do want to point out that this is the one game that Talia did not get to play so in case you're wondering why isn't Talia saying anything it's because she didn't actually play this one she did play the other two so we'll get her thoughts on that one I wanted everybody to know we're not ignoring her thoughts which we value highly but of course if you just want to comment on something you're welcome to it's for fun yes color commentary we'll call is that welcome. color commentary and Make sometimes fun it's us the most fun you know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've been listening we've been really hot on theme lately so in our last review when we were talking about mining games and cavum we were talking a lot about theme and i think this game is no exception i think this game has a very interesting theme i can see why tom was attracted to it and that you're running a basketball team i don't know any other game that does this where yeah, you're actually like it's a, unique for sure yeah you're like a general manager and you're creating a roster so how well did you think that corne did in implementing that theme into the mechanics of this game yeah, it was honestly the very first thing I thought of when I sat down to collect my thoughts about Basket Boss. And I thought, you know, theme was very tightly connected, right? Every mechanic seemed to very neatly fit into drafting. Even the slider mechanic, the way that it represents the player's career over time, I think mm-hmm. is just awesome. Because you can think, okay, the next round, this player is going to have a five instead of a four because he's progressing and getting better. And later, by the fifth round, He's going to be dropped back down, so I may have to think about swapping him out. And just like you would think about a player who's sustaining injuries or, or anything like that, or just getting a little creaky in the knees after playing you know, basketball for so long, I thought stuff like that was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, no, I would agree for sure. There's just a lot of little theme tie-ins that I really enjoyed. Even the ref. Right. Taking on the ref, you get an immediate bump to your team strength, and then you can take bribes, basically, to, <laughs> to determine who wins in, in a tie. So, yeah, there's just a lot of little things that fit the, the needs of the game from a mechanical standpoint, but also tie into the theme really well. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I found a lot of the specialists to be really hilarious. There's a specialist, they call him the quote-unquote trainer. This is Bobby Knight, okay? Looks exactly like it. It's clearly inspired by like Indiana Hoosiers Bobby Knight. And when you take him, he whips your players into shape, basically. Your players get theoretically get better you can bump their stats up to the next season which you'll often do to benefit yourself it's for making them better i really enjoyed that another thing i thought was just really humorous was i felt like every player placard had a story yeah you know what i mean you've got the rookie you've got the veteran you've got the guy that starts strong then he peters off then he comes back maybe he had an injury or something i just found that as we were playing we were coming up with all these explanations for why these guys had these stats that they did which was fun the player names are great or terrible, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned Barry Lurd, which is clearly Larry Bird. Yeah. yeah. It looks Larry Bird. I mean, there's Bill Bull, Co- Kobe Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> 
the, the very, just these really ridiculous names. Very punny and yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we mentioned in the rules, this game has a standard English style auction, and we've talked about English style auctions before in the podcast, specifically when we reviewed Palazzo way back in episode three. And I don't think any of us were very kind to that particular review because an English style auction can be kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And this one utilizes that as well. So how did you feel that mechanism played out in this game as compared to Palazzo or other games that use it? Yeah, I would say, I mean, directly compared to Palazzo, that game had that weird mechanic where you had multiple types of currency and things going on too, which diluted the mechanic a little bit. But in this one, it didn't bother me as much. And I think maybe, this is just a theory, but maybe the reason for that is that money is extremely tight. Oh, yeah. Whereas an English auction can just drag on forever and ever because it keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. In this one, every raise is a critical decision. Every one increment. Yeah. Because you only have maybe $10 or less, right, that you have to bid with. Or I guess it's $10 million or whatever. Basco. Basco, whatever the currency (laughs) is called. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of forgot halfway through the game that we were doing an auction. It almost feels like, what am I willing to purchase? Rather than feeling like you're sitting there in a suit raising a little flag with your number on it, which is what the images that are are invoked for me for an English-style auction. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. And I think for me, too, the thing that really saves this game from being just a meh game like Palazzo is the planning involved in selecting your players is really just fantastic, honestly, because everything is open, right? I can look at Cameron's board. I can look at Jason's board, and I can see what their current team strengths are, what their current team strengths will Will be. be in future seasons, and prepare for that. So not only am I thinking about, okay, can I score points now? But maybe I take this player who doesn't do anything for me this season, but in next season or even the season after that, he might be the key to me winning that season and winning that championship for all those points. That is just such a brilliant mechanism of figuring that plan out. Not to mention when you add in the trainer who lets you bump people up. Yeah. Then you've got just another level of thought going on. Well, this guy doesn't appear like he helps me. But if I take him and get the trainer and bump him up, now he helps me significantly. Well, Just really good. Or even down to if Chris has the trainer right now, he's thinking about the next level down because that's what he's going to get. If he takes that guy, he's probably going to be willing to outbid me. Right. The type of a thing. So if I'm the person setting the price and I know that you're going to go for it because you really want it and it's going to be worth it to you, I'm going to make you pay for make, it. And I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to give it to you for the price that I get it for. Or even if you've got the mm-hmm. money, you just don't allow it. Yeah. Right. I know in the last game we played where Bill beat me, the reason he beat me is he was was pretty flush with money at the end. And he didn't necessarily need those players, but he bought them just so I couldn't have them because he saw that I could bump them up and get a really strong team the last season. He just didn't allow it. Yeah. Which was good play. Yeah. 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 I will say this auction also has a bit of a Strasbourg feel to it in a way, in that. Ooh. Yeah. We all know Chris's love. Yeah, because you can see all the players for a given season that are going to be drafted. So not only are you thinking about the current auction, but you're thinking four auctions ahead. So I'm looking at the fifth or sixth player in that line thinking, okay, well, of these, I'm I'm only going to be able to afford to grab one, maybe two of these players. So there's also that dynamic of thinking, okay, well, I know Chris really wants that one. So maybe I should go grab this one over here, which is maybe a little bit less good for me, but I can probably get it for a cheaper price Yep. and and all of that going on, which adds to that forgetting that you're just doing a a boring auction. One more thing I want to mention before we transition over to cons, and I love it when this happens in games. It's one of my favorite things. 
is when people comment that certain things are overpowered or seem like they're too strong. And then in another play with different people, they comment just the opposite. <laughs> and that happens so many times in this game. Really? Like we had games where people were like, the agent is too strong. Agent is overpowered. It's all that matters. And then I played in two other games of this where the people that won never took the agent one time. Hmm. I had people say, well, if you jump out early and you get a bunch of championships early, it's an insurmountable lead. And then the very next game I played, the person that won didn't win any of the first three season championships and right. finished strong at the end. And they ended up winning the game. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think... That's a good sign. It gives the appearance that certain strategies are overpowered or too strong, but in actuality, at least in my plays, I saw it one with many different strategies in many different ways that many people said was an unwinnable way, mm. and it was still viable. So what do you guys not like about the game? Yeah, I think that depending on the situation, some of the special, what are they called? This The special the specialists. specialists can be more helpful than others. I don't think any of them are overpowered, but I think that some of them perhaps are less useful at times. And it all depends on what you're going for strategically, right? But I did find that I'm not going to say the agent is overpowered or that it's critical to win because it's not. I was in one of those games where I didn't have it the entire game. I don't think I won, but I, I was competitive. But it seems if you're not able to get a hold of the agents that correspond with whatever strategy you're going with, that that can be pretty detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that I noticed, and we've definitely harped on this in other games in the past, but I feel like it must be mentioned here is the art in this game is pretty terrible. Yeah. It's just not good at all. You know what it reminds me of is I don't know if you guys have ever been to middle school like art fair <laughs> a sixth grade art fair where you can tell it looks like they're making a good attempt yeah but their technique is just not quite there yet that's what it reminds me of yeah it just if you look at the faces too closely you're like man this art is just <laughs> really bad. bad it's not a pretty game at all yeah yeah and to be fair i mean we talked about it with Shanghai, but there's also <laughs> yeah. some pretty stereotypical tropes going on w- within the art as well for sure culturally and there's one female basketball player in the whole game laura jackson she has the worst stats of anybody <laughs> in the game and i'm like come on man <laughs> tell you your I thoughts take offense to that. what do you think about that <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, in fairness i think it, it is obviously it's a difficult thing to try to do right you're, sure. you're, basketball is about people and you're trying to depict people that are from all over the world from different you know backgrounds and stuff like that but you're also drawing cartoons it's a fine line to sort of navigate so i mean i i kind of want to give them credit for putting the effort forward to make it a worldwide representation in the game but it's hard to pull off and that there may be some shortcomings in it, that in for, that regard for sure and i just to be clear i don't think that this was any way insensitive or malicious from him because yeah. i have interacted with him briefly on email and i've backed some of his kickstarters sure. so i've gotten communication from him and he seems like a super nice guy i just think that people should understand that when when this game was made in 2009, we weren't really thinking about things the way that we are now. And you might have to extend a little bit of grace towards them in that way because some doubt. of them are a yeah. little bit on the nose for sure. sure. Should we move on to final thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm ready. Let's do it. So before we go into our final thoughts, I think it would be a good idea just to review our uh, rating scale. We do this every mm-hmm. three to four episodes or so. So in Hidden Gems, we rate on a one to six scale with one being the lowest and six being the highest. 
if we give a game a one, that means that we don't like the game because we think it's broken in some way. There's some sort of mechanism or some sort of game design choice which makes the game, in our opinion, unplayable. Two, there's nothing wrong with the game from a mechanic standpoint. We just feel like it's a bad game. We don't enjoy this game at all. We don't want to play it again. A three for us is what we call a meh game. It's not necessarily bad, but it doesn't excite us. It doesn't do a lot for us. We don't really care to play this game either. It's just meh. A four game. Now this is where we're starting to get into better games. This is a good game for us. We enjoyed it. We would play it again. You would keep it. I would for me I would keep that's it. That's the threshold for That's Chris. the threshold for me. A five is an excellent game. We think this game is above average. We would definitely want to play this game again if it hit the table. And then six for us is top of the top. Our favorite games. Something at a least flawless gem. A flawless gem. Something <laughs> for me I would probably consider in my top. 50 because I'm very generous about handing out sixes but (laughs) it's when you've played hundreds and hundreds of games it's one of your favorite games okay all right so with that being said Cameron why don't you get us started yeah so overall I enjoyed Basket Boss I felt like the pace and the complexity of this game were really manageable the tough decisions in this game kind of all center around how you manage your money knowing what a player is worth or how to make them worth more at the right time choosing the right specialist knowing when it's worth it to take a certain specialist away from someone else there's good decisions we could use an art update for sure but i enjoyed this game i would happily play it again so i'm gonna go with a four all right Cameron, you always have such refined sounding <laughs> d- final thoughts. <laughs> Mine are always all over the place. Yeah, I but, just shoot <laughs> but I ended up giving this game a four as well. I really did enjoy playing it. I think that ultimately there was something about it that makes me not quite as passionate to go out and evangelize this game to other people. I don't know exactly what that is, but I think it's a solid game. I would enjoy playing it, and I think it's a game that people should definitely check out. The theme is spot on. It's very well integrated. I think there's tense decisions, multiple paths to victory. Chris, there you go. So yeah, I think it's a solid game. I think there's just something intangible that held it back from being a five or a six for me, but it's definitely solid in my book. Nice. So as we mentioned in review, we've not been kind to English auctions in the past. By today's standards, they can definitely feel a bit stale. But I will say I think that this game is an English auction done right. Mm -hmm. I feel that while the bidding is not that exciting, what I'm bidding for is very exciting. And I really enjoyed that puzzle of trying to figure out Is it worth it for me to get this guy now and try to get a good placement in this season? Or am I thinking farther down the Mm -hmm. road? In some cases, three or four seasons down the road, right? Trying to set up a big score. That level of planning is what I'm looking for in games. And then when you take that and add to it, the specialist who can give you just that slightest bit of an edge to get ahead in certain seasons really just push this game from a good game to an excellent game for me. I really like this game. I gave it a five. I tend to like auctions anyways, and I think that this one did a really good job of that English-style auction. So five for me. Very cool. Where can we or our followers find Basket Boss if they're looking for it? Yeah, at the time of this recording, there are only seven copies on BGG, so this game is a little bit more of a rare find. However, do have a little bit of news here about Quali and Cornovan Morsel games. So Quali just made a deal with BoardGameTables.com to start publishing their games, which is a pretty big deal. So if you don't know, BoardGameTables.com doesn't just do board game tables, they actually do games. Probably their more well-known releases would be On Tour, or the incredibly average QE, (laughs) which is a good production. I just don't care for the game. So they have 
made an agreement to where they're going to start redoing a lot of Corna's games. And the games that they've announced are Factory Funner, Habitats, Roll to the Top, Power Ships, and Basketballs. Oh, cool. With an art upgrade. So nice. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so they said they're going to upgrade the art and they're going to make minor changes to the rule sets in some of the games. So the games will be pretty much the same, just with a nice coat of paint on them. Do not mess this game up. Don't mess it up. It's good as is. The rules are fun. Yeah. It, if you can't get it now, just wait a little bit and you'll be able to get a much more visually appealing copy in the future. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap on Basketball. You are a caravan leader, trying to be the Gypsy King by placing the caravan in the free lands near the wonderful lakes. After all the lands are filled with caravans, players will score points. Points are scored for controlling lakes with gold coins and connected caravan groups. After the first round of filling the map, a second round is executed, with some minor changes. The player with the most points after these two rounds is the winner and is crowned as the Gypsy King. Can you be that player? Again, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> All right. Gypsy King, published in 2007, again by Koali Games, designed by Corner Van Marshall. Currently ranked on BGG 3,665. Cameron, you explained a little bit of the high-level rules during your flavor text description, but this is a bit of an oddball game. Mm-hmm. I feel like I always get stuck with explaining these weirder games. I will do my best here. <laughs> this is actually a pretty simple game when you boil it all down. Essentially, players are placing wooden caravans out onto a semi-randomly generated array of hexes. There are land hexes and there are lake hexes. So you're placing your caravans onto the land hexes around these various lakes that get formed by this randomly generated board. The goal in placing caravans is to score points in one of two ways. You can score either by creating a large group of caravans that are all connected to one another, and the larger the group, the more points you'll score. But you can also score points by having a majority of caravans surrounding certain lakes. Not all the lakes are valuable, but certain lakes will have value depending on the number of fish. The big mechanism of this game, though, really comes down to turn order. So turn order is randomly decided at the beginning of the game, and each player gives one of their caravans to create a queue of caravans that represent the turn order. And whoever is at the front of that queue takes their turn, and they have the option of either placing a caravan or passing. If they place a caravan, their caravan will move to the back of the queue, and then the new person at the front of the queue will then have the opportunity to either place a caravan or pass. If a player chooses to pass, however, they're basically removing themselves from that turn order queue until the placement phase moves on to the next lake. And so let me explain what I mean by that. So each of the lake hexes has a number on it between 1 and 15. At the beginning of the game, if a player chooses to place a caravan, they can only place on available land hexes that touch the number 1 lake. Once that lake is completely full of players' caravans, then we move on to the number 2 lake, and then the number 3 lake, and so on and so forth. When a player chooses to pass, they're passing for the current lake number. And once the next lake becomes available because the previous one has filled up, that player will then be at the front of the queue for the placement on that next lake. You're basically reserving and saying, I don't want to place any more on the current lake. I want to make sure that I get the first placement on the next one. That's basically how the game works. You continue until all of the land hexes are filled with caravans. Then there's a scoring phase. Again, that's both with the majorities around the lake and with the groups of caravans that you've created. 
Then the whole board gets wiped and we do the, the entire thing again, this time starting with the number 15 and going back down to one. Yeah. With the one important difference in the second phase, which is that two times during this phase, you have the option when placing a caravan to place two of your caravans onto the same hex, yeah. which can be big because that influences both majorities around the lakes as well as the size of your group. Once that second phase has happened, we've gone from 15 all the way back to 1. There's another scoring phase at the very end, and then whoever has the most points wins. So, this is a bit of an odd game because it focuses so heavily on turn order. I wanted to throw that out there. Have you guys ever played another game that relies on turn order in the same way that this game does? And what did you think of that being one of the main mechanisms? I've never played a game that relies heavily on turn order like that, and it kind of threw me. So that was one of my cons, because I'm not used to doing it. (laughs) And I have a hard time with looking ahead. That's a struggle for me in general in most games. I have a hard time planning ahead. You have to be constantly looking out two or three numbers ahead to see, okay, well, do I really care about this one placement that's obvious, or do I want to wait for something that's so much further away? That was really hard for me. Like, I watched Chris do it on that one play. And I was like, he keeps passing. <laughs> what is he going to do? <laughs> How are you going to get points? And then he ended up getting a crap ton of points and then winning. I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. I had it a hard can, time with it that. It can feel painful because it, yeah. it is such a central decision in this game. Because when you play you're bumping yourself to the back of the line. And depending on how close the current lake is to being filled up, you could set yourself to being playing dead last on the very next lake. And if that's important to you, then you got to pass early. Yep. And for sure that if other people are playing ahead of you, they're going to do everything they can to take the hexes around that lake that you really need, right? We play games all the time where turn order is important, Mm -hmm. right? Where you want to try to jockey for a good position to get what you need. But I've never played a game where that's essentially the game. The game. <laughs> that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. this... Managing which order you're going to play in. Gypsy King is turn order the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really what it is, yeah. right? It's how you're managing your position in the turn order to ensure. And that's what's clever about yep. it, is if you begin passing early enough, you can guarantee mm-hmm. that you get to place in a certain hex that's important to you, but the trade-off is the earlier you begin passing, the more opportunity and points you're giving to your opponents because they're just laying caravans down and you're not. Yep. But it might pay off if you mm-hmm. land a couple of those hexes that are just critical to getting majorities and getting a large connected caravan. It's yeah. really interesting in that way. And if you're playing with people that are thinking ahead multiple rounds in advance, you can experience what I did, which was constantly being the second to last person to place. Because we didn't mention it in the rules overview, but if everybody passes out and there are multiple spots left around the current lake that you're on, the last person can just fill in all of them. And if someone gets three in a row because everyone else ducked out because they're worried about the next round, They're just inviting the fourth person to have a three or four whatever long caravan all to themselves. So you could potentially be just handing points to people. I I had another thing I was thinking about with this game because I frequently found myself playing defense and sort of being the person that had to keep the other person from getting all those points. And it was, oh, you're going to make me do I didn't want to place you, you in this very happy location. About it I was going to pass. <laughs> but if I do, I'm just handing points and everyone else at the table is going to be mad at me. What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't play defense well at all, usually. <laughs> all <right. laughs> Not in any game. I don't like to do it because i got to focus on one thing. i got to worry about my own stuff. i got to worry about my own thing. i got to make my own points. So I have a hard time playing defense because I'm like, what if I don't get this point? I'm going to come in dead last, which I did. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think I've played many games where I've felt that tension between having to play offense and defense equally well in a game than this one. I mean, that's definitely present in a lot of games that you play. You have to not set other people up for things and make sure that if there's a great opportunity for them, maybe you snipe the card that they need or something. But in this game, I feel like you have to be constantly weighing that decision of, is it better for me to take the spot that helps me or to take the spot that hurts my opponent? Because I'm not going to get another chance to take that spot before mm-hmm. they get the opportunity to, to grab it, right? And I thought that was a really interesting push-pull. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed the offensive-defensive decisions in this game. And another thing that I really liked, which I think was happening to Cameron quite a bit, which I was getting quite a kick out of, is... <laughs> that was again, griping the whole yeah. time. You really were. It was so great. Because of the way that turn order works... If everybody passes but two people, that person that's left is forced to play in a blocking fashion. So what I mean is, let's say that Jason Cameron and I are left, and I pass, and then it's just Cameron and Jason left. Well, if Cameron were to pass, he knows that he's leaving Jason with a big point-scoring opportunity, which he can't do, right? But I've forced Cameron Yep. To be the one to step in and stop Jason instead of me because I passed. Which right? means that <laughs> right. I, once I've stopped Jason by placing... You've moved to the back of the line. I moved to the back right. of the line, which yeah. puts me at a disadvantage. It's so and great. And I'll be honest, I, I we had a couple of tense moments because Chris did that to me. And I was like, pass. And he was like, what? Just out you're going to let Jason... And I'm like, hey, dude, you're going to have to... You did it to me. You're like, you, you got to play this game too. It's <laughs> true. I'm, I'm going to do what I want this time. <laughs> It can bite you in the butt, but you know you don't own me. Yeah, that's right. You're not gonna play my turn for me. You know, as much as I complain about catch-up mechanisms in game, this is actually a good one if you play it right. And what I mean by that is, if I'm in the back and Jason and Cameron are kind of jockeying for first place, and I'm a little bit farther behind, I can pass much more easily because Cameron has more to lose than I do. Right? I'm already losing. I need to make moves that benefit me so I can catch up. But Cameron is more invested in denying Jason at that point. Yep. So if you can see those opportunities and be like, pass, you deal with it. I'm yeah. not going to waste my turn on that. Yeah. And it's a clever way of allowing yourself to get back in the game by forcing people who have more investment in yeah. stopping somebody. So one other thing that I will mention, and I will say I'm not huge on expansions to games just generally. I feel like when I first started getting into the hobby, I was like, oh man, I love this game. I want to go out and get every expansion for it possible. And there are good expansions out there for sure. But I think I've generally cooled on the idea of expansions over time, the more I've been in the hobby, because usually games are good on their own. All that said, when I was browsing BGG, I found that there was a mini expansion for this game. And it's not easy to find, but it's such a small expansion that I was like, I can find a couple wood pieces to work for this. And that's bridges. It adds one tiny mechanism that every player gets a small wooden bridge piece that they can use one time in the first phase of the game and the second phase of the game to connect two of their groups together across a lake hex. And we played that a couple times just to kind of see what effect it had on the game. I was curious what you guys thought about that. Yeah, I like this expansion a lot, and I think this is expansions done right. Not adding a ton of bloat and a ton of unnecessary extra rules and a ton of stuff. It's literally one piece, one extra rule that you can teach in 20 seconds, but yet it added another unique and interesting dimension to the game that you had to consider. You couldn't ignore it. If you ignored it, you wouldn't have a chance. Yet so easy to incorporate. Love expansions like that. I think that it made the game even better. 
Yeah, I think it was really well done as well. With the whole concept of turn order being the main focus of this game, there's three big decisions. It's turn order, where are you going to place your doubles, and where are you going to put your bridge? And is it too early to put your bridge down, yeah. right? It may not always be too early. True. As Chris found out. As Chris yeah. found out. <laughs> I lost because I couldn't even get mine down in a meaningful way because I waited too long. Right. So yeah, it definitely matters. Cool. What did you guys not like about this game? When you first pulled it out, I was like, oh, for the love. <laughs> looks very boring. Oh, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not the looks, most exciting yeah, looking game on the table. That was my first thought when you pulled it out. It has lots of colors. It has lots of colors. It just doesn't look very exciting. Yeah, and, and I will comment, too, on the look of the game. It is so basic. I mean, even the caravans, the caravans <laughs> are basically no rectangular, can rectangular <laughs> blocks with something that maybe loosely resembles wheels. <laughs> Okay, it's as bare bones as it gets. The art is pretty uninspired, but there's not a lot to art here. It's a simple game, and I don't think we've made it clear here. This game is a filler game. Just understand that. Part of the reason why this runtime is what 25, 30 minutes. Uh, oh, 15 or 20 in yeah. some cases. Sure. Yep. So the reason it looks as simple as it does is because it's a filler, and there's not a lot to it. It's a very yeah. simple game. I mean, but, it's essentially an abstract game, right? Mm-hmm. I was yep. thinking so, that. Yeah, an abstract filler. Yep. But it could look better. Cool. Well, should we move on to final thoughts? Yeah, let's do it. So. Talia, mm. you're in the seat of honor. No, not <laughs> it's time. Seat I You've be. heard us do it. You heard us doing basketball. So you, you're up. I'm not up. We're ready for your well crafted summary. I don't, write, I don't take notes. You see, this is not what I do. <laughs> I think I would give this a four. I like it. I'm intrigued to play it again. Honestly, hearing the rules again, it's been a while since I've played it, kind of makes me want to play it again, just so I can see if I can get the turn order thing down. And it might bump it up to a five if I play it a little more. Definitely intrigued by it. Wouldn't hate it if it got pulled out on the table. I'd definitely play it again. Nice. I like it. Okay. Cool. Well Favorable done. review. Yeah, for me, this game is amazingly simple. And the first time I read the rules, which it's the front and back of a sheet of paper, when I read it, I was like, this is a weird game and it's probably going to be a dud. (laughs) And then I played it a couple times. And to be honest, the first time I played it, I was still pretty unsure. I was like, this is weird. I feel like I'm just randomly placing things out. But I think, Chris, you mentioned this on the last episode with one of the games that we reviewed with Cavum, actually, yep. that the more you played it, the more the strategy became apparent and the more it evolved. And I feel like this game did something similar. They're vastly different games, right? Mm-hmm. And vastly different complexity levels. But yep. I felt like the more Opposite I... Opposite ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I felt like the more I played this game, the more light bulbs were going off. I really enjoyed that. I loved the offense versus defense, the tension between going for the large groups versus going after the fish. It's quick to teach. It's easy to play. I really enjoyed this one. I gave it a five. For its length and for what it is, it is a filler game, but you can teach it in two seconds, and I feel like there's a lot to it for what it is. I enjoyed it. Sweet. I also really like this game. I can see why Jason would want to play it like 500 times on his phone uh, because it's a really good game. It's simple. It's easy to learn, but it's hard to win, which I think is marks of, of a really good game. I really like the variant rule with the bridges. I felt like that added another interesting decision to force you to maximize your efforts and minimize chances for your opponents to capitalize on that. This is another one where everyone at the table gets quiet, and I love that because it's so simple, but the decisions are so tough. So I also am going to give Gypsy King a five. (laughs) Nice. 
Yeah, so for me, one of the things that I really enjoy about this podcast is it does help me establish in my mind how I really do feel about mm-hmm. a game through the writing downs of pros and cons. Mm-hmm. All right, I think it's just a good way to do things. You know, when people talk about life decisions, they're like, you should write down pros and cons. I'm like, that sounds like a waste of time. But, <laughs> with, but for board games, it's so much better. For board games, it really helps. I was like, wow, this really does help. Because when I sat down... Gypsy King is just such a deceptively simple game. Initially, I was like, oh, I think I might land on a four on this one. It's good. And then I sat down and started trying to think of cons. And I couldn't write anything. I was like, it doesn't look great. That's the only thing that I yeah. could come up with. And I started to think about the game more. And I was like, man, the game is fun. And I had a fun time mm. playing it. I think I was maybe internally biasing myself to think, oh, there's just not much to this. I shouldn't. Give it a five, but it is a five. This game is a five. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent game. I like fillers anyways. I tend to review them a little bit more favorably on this show, but this one just does it really well for all the reasons that the guys have laid out already in their summaries that I won't hash back through, and you as well, babe. And Telly. Yeah, and guys. I'm just used to saying that, okay? <laughs> um, awesome decisions, turn order decisions, putting people in tough situations that they don't want to be in. I love stuff like that. Um, excellent game. Awesome. Sweet. Where can we get Gypsy King, Jason? So I found this game sort of on a lark. I was browsing through trying to, to come up with a list of games to pull for the podcast. And this wasn't even on our podcast list yet. Mm-hmm. But as I was scrolling through BGG Marketplace, I just happened upon it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll just tack it onto my order. Turned out to be really good. But there are copies of it out there. There are 20 copies on BGG right now. So it is available. Another thing I will mention is there is an app. <laughs> the app somehow looks Ugly. worse than the actual board game. <laughs> so don't be expecting greatness out of the, the look and feel of the app. It functions perfectly fine. But I have found myself playing it on my phone a lot recently. So if you can't find a, a physical copy of it, feel free to check it out and get a feel for the gameplay online. So that's how you've gotten so good at it. I know. I Honestly, <laughs> after I found out that he's been playing the game on his yeah. phone, I was like, all right, I feel much better about how I did tonight. This is my second time playing this game. And Jason's got like 400 plays in. Jason's been practicing in the bathroom on the toilet for the last yeah. month. <laughs> Prepping for this moment to crush us all in Gypsy King. <laughs> all right. Well, those are our thoughts on Gypsy King. Zebras need grassland, chimps need forest, crocs water, ants dry land, and hogs need something of everything. Your task as a park manager is to provide the habitats for the animals in your African wildlife park, to build watchtowers and access roads to meet your tourists' special demands. Combine everything the best. Habitats. Can you combine everything the best? <laughs> yeah, we're... Oh yeah, we have to end on a quick... <laughs> <laughs> Habitats, published in 2016 by Quali Games. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 1,431. Pretty highly ranked. I heard about this game also from Tom Vassell. As I mentioned, he likes Quali Games quite a bit, and he was pretty hot on this game. And when I acquired it, it came available on Kickstarter, and I just couldn't resist because at that time, the player pieces were these cute little porcelain figurines that we'll talk about a little bit later that just sucked me in. So I had to get it. All right, brief rules summary on habitats. The idea of habitats is... 
you are running a zoo and you are trying to construct the best zoo where your animals will be the happiest. You'll be adding animals to that zoo and trying to make them happy by surrounding them with their desired habitat. So before I get into the rules, the way that works is each animal has a list of terrain types that it wants to be next to. Okay, So it's important to note also that the animal itself is printed on a terrain type, but that doesn't satisfy it. Okay, It's only things that it is adjacent to. For example, I might have a mongoose who wants to be next to a grass and a rock. I can put a grass tile next to that mongoose orthogonally adjacent, not diagonally, sharing a side. And then another tile that has uh, rocks on it. And that will satisfy that mongoose, and that mongoose will now score points for me at the end of the game. That's the most simple example. Now let's say that that animal wanted one grass and three rocks next to it. Now it gets a little bit harder, right? Because you've got to get that animal adjacent to a grass on one edge, and then on the other three edges next to rocks. However, you can satisfy this in another way, and this is where the game gets really interesting. If those rocks are connected to each other, but are not necessarily connected to the mongoose, that still satisfies that animal. Mm -hmm. So you can make these chains of terrains, as long as it's the same type of terrain, and they're all touching, as long as that chain of terrain tiles is touching that animal, that satisfies that animal's requirements. So once you understand that, the way the game plays is very simple. In addition to your own player board or your zoo, there's an array of tiles. So this is where you're gaining your tiles to add to your zoo. So on your turn, what you're going to do is you're going to move your player piece, which as I mentioned in my version of the game, is a little ceramic animal. And these animals have a facing. They're either facing straight forward or they can turn to the right or they can turn to the left. So when it's my turn to take a tile, I can either take the tile that's directly in front of my animal, to the right of my animal, or to the left of my animal, but not the tile behind me. So if I take the tile in front of me, I pick up that tile, I add it to my zoo, and then I move my animal forward into the space that that tile was in, and then I replace the space where I was standing with a new tile. And the board will be constantly in flux that way. What's interesting is all of the players are moving about within this grid of tiles. In addition to the animal types, there are a few other types of tiles present in the game to give you a little bit more choice and things to think about. For example, one type would be observation decks. You can add those to your park and every completed animal that's adjacent to that observation deck will get you a point. So it's just other ways to score points other than just satisfying your animals. And then lastly, at the end of each year, so there are three years or three rounds in this game where we'll place a certain number of tiles. At the end of each year, there is an objective. For example, it might be have the most different kinds of terrain types in your park at the end of this year. And then that will score based on first, second, and third place. So in addition to scoring based on the animals in your park, that gives you just one more thing to think about from an end-of-round scoring standpoint. And those are randomly decided each yes, game. Yes, randomly decided, and there's many more than three. I think there are like nine or 12 of them. So every game will be a little bit different based upon which objectives come out for that certain game. All right, so that's generally how you play Habitats. So you've probably noticed that we've been a little bit harsh on quality games so far from a production standpoint. Mm -hmm. These games, from an art standpoint and just from a graphic design standpoint, aren't you know exciting. But Habitats 
I think is a little bit different from these other two games that reviewed has, as I mentioned, these ceramic animals that you can use as player pieces. How did you feel about the production in this one? Did you feel like it was a good leap forward or a small leap forward? Not much difference. What did you think? I would say for me, I thought it was a leap forward for sure. I don't know that I would consider Habitats to be one of the best designed games out there, right? (laughs) The ceramic animals reminded me a little bit of Wildlife Safari, the little plastic animals that go with that game, which didn't raise it to greatness in my book. And I I think this is kind of the same. I think that of the three games we've reviewed, it's by far the best, Mm -hmm. right? I wasn't blown away by the art, but it didn't stand out to me as a negative, Mm -hmm. whereas it did in some of the other productions. In the other two, yeah. I honestly was shocked that they were all done by the same designer. <laughs> so I haven't played as many games as y'all have, but I think Habitats looks very different from the other two games, just seeing them here on the table. And I really like the little ceramic animals, <laughs> except for the rabbit. <laughs> What's what? wrong with the rabbit? I love the rabbit. I choose it to play with it, mm-hmm. but it drives me crazy because it's, you can't tell which way it's facing. <laughs> it's that, that was, my, degree <laughs> that was it's the con true. I wrote down, but it's so cute. I have to pick it. I, I do like the ceramics too, but the rabbit, its butt is facing in a weird direction. <laughs> so constantly when we were playing this game with Bill and Sarah, we were like, which way is this rabbit facing? And we were like moving it. And Sarah was like, no, it was facing this way. And I was getting confused yeah, it actually, by this rabbit. Yeah, it caused problems. <laughs> it did cause some problems. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts on the are, are similar. Generally, the drawings of the animals are nice. Yeah. And it's certainly a step up from some of the other games that we looked at today. Yeah, I will too. I mean, I agree with Jason. I'm not saying this is the greatest looking game ever, but one more thing I will say about the animals. The drawings are fine. They're not knocking my socks off, but... They're varied. I kind of had fun just looking at different kind of animals. There are a lot of animals I'm like, I've never even heard of this animal before. It's not old McDonald animals here. It's pretty, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's pretty exotic type animals. It's cool. I I think it was a good attempt there for sure. How else did y'all feel about the gameplay, the tile lane? What else did you guys like? I think the planning element of this game is really interesting. It's a weird blend. There is a lot of planning that you can do, but you also Mm -hmm. have to be pretty tactical Mm -hmm. because all of those animals are moving around that little tableau of tiles constantly. And so you might have a plan of, well, I'm going to go here and I'm going to get this tile and I'm going to go here and I'm going to get this tile and it's going to be perfect. And then somebody else steps on that tile and takes it from you and you're like, well, crap, now what do I do? There is that planning where you're looking ahead and trying to figure out, okay, what's the best path forward? But you always have to be flexible enough to be like, okay, well, if that tile gets taken, then my backup plan is to go this direction and get this other tile. I enjoyed that. Nice. That was one of the things I liked about it too. And I think a lot of games, if your backup plan doesn't work out, there's sometimes not anything else you can do. (laughs) So I feel like, okay, he takes that tile. I have at least three other tiles that I could work in. Yeah. Yep. And that makes me feel better <laughs> because sometimes I have a hard time looking ahead. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, Just you might get... have to navigate your way around to them yeah. and it might take a little longer, but you yeah. can still get them. Right. And I'm kind of playing on my own board. I don't really love the defense part of games, so I can kind of focus on my own. I'm sure there is a way that you can look at other people's board and I'm sure you all were doing it, <laughs> but it didn't affect me any. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, it's interesting. You're kind of hitting on something I'm going to talk about a little later. But yes, yeah, I think it's a good point. Yep. I appreciated the fact that there's so many different opportunities to synergize your objectives. You're constantly trying, yes, to solve the individual animal cards that you've picked up with the next one that you pick up. But you're also trying to make sure that the new ones help with your station cards, right? Because some of them, it's getting certain types of animals in a row or on an angle or or whatever. And then you're also trying to figure out, okay, how can I meet the end of round objective at the same time? So you're working on multiple fronts. And I enjoyed doing that. 
Yeah, for sure. I got that feeling as well. And just combining everything you have already said, it kind of felt like I was playing two games at one time. Mm-hmm. Which I liked. I had the game of my tableau in my zoo, trying to figure out how I'm going to work all of these animals into here to satisfy them, which is a challenge. Mm-hmm. I explained this in the rules, but I'm going to reiterate it just to make sure it's clear. Whenever you take a tile for a terrain type to satisfy an animal, that tile also has an animal on it. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that also wants to be happy, right? So every time you're adding a tile to your zoo, to make an animal happy, you're now adding another animal that wants to be happy, right. right? And you want to try to minimize your unhappy animals. And when you can find those opportunities to put one in there that satisfies one that's in your zoo and he's immediately satisfied based on where you place him, that's fun, right? Feels that's, good. It feels good. It's a good puzzle. Do you think it's probably time to move on to cons then? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Sure. Tally, was there anything about this game that didn't strike you as being amazing? Other than the rabbit butt. That's really the only con. <laughs> That's really the only con I have. <laughs> the rabbit. The rabbit drives me crazy, but I also love it. It's That's why really you play the caterpillar. Like. But when you play with Chris, he always gets the caterpillar. That's right. So you never get the caterpillar. Very easy to determine the facing of <laughs> it a caterpillar. It's very easy. <laughs> this isn't necessarily a con for me. And it's definitely not a con for Talia, but it might be a con for some people. And you've hinted at this already, okay? So I just want to reiterate what what you said. In a lot of ways, this game is multiplayer solitaire. That's true. Now, you might be saying, well, you were just saying that you could take tiles from somebody on the community board that you might be trying to go after. And that's true. But at least in the number of times I've played this, I don't feel like I've ever seen anybody take a tile on that board because they knew somebody else needed it. (laughs) It's because they needed it. It just happened to be the tile they needed that you also wanted. This isn't a game where you're like, oh, I can see Cameron needs that grass tile, so I'm going to take it. You're so fixated on your board and how you're going to satisfy your animal's requirements that it's hard to see how you can mess people over on that public board. So I think in a lot of ways, this game comes down to who is able to solve their own personal puzzle better than everybody else. That's not necessarily bad. I I, I don't mind that, but a lot of people dislike that. They like more interaction. I'm sure there was at least one time where I gave you my characteristic grass. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Grass. Because you stole my tile that I wanted. I can assure you it was unintentional. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that, and this is kind of a pretty minor quibble, really, but there is a special type of tile that are, they're flowers. Yep. Right? Um, And by default, they're worth one point. Right. You don't have to do anything to satisfy them because they're flowers. Flowers are just satisfied. <laughs> this isn't a gardening <laughs> game. Yeah. You don't have to do anything special to make flowers happen. Yeah, really. Right. So they're just worth a point, but they have a terrain type to them, so right. they can be used to help satisfy other animals. I think the first few times I played this game, I was like, these flower tiles suck. And there's a lot of them. There was one game we played, they just kept coming out over and over and over again. I was like, this is boring. I don't want flower tiles. I want animals. But I think the more we played it, the more we realized that having a guaranteed one point is not that shabby in this game. Better, and it is helping an you... finish animal. Right. And it's helping you complete other animals. Animals I, like to be next to flowers too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a real con. This is just a hang up that I have with this game is that, that there's always that I have to move in a particular direction and I can't go back. And so I always move in a particular direction and a new tile gets filled in behind me. <laughs> and that, that tile replacement regret is real. You move forward and you're like, oh, I'm going to grab this one because it's the best option I have. And then the tile that comes in right behind you, which you're never going to get because you can't turn around to go get no, it, is like, is a perfect tile for me. Like, no! So that happened a couple times. 
but it's just part of the game. Yeah. It's so a new category for reviews, towel replacement regret. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a new catchword. Why can't this animal just turn around? <laughs> this animal is defective. So shall we move on to final thoughts? Sounds good. Yep. All right. Talia? <laughs> <laughs> I am going to give this game a five. Ooh. I thought about giving it a six, but I don't think I've played enough games <laughs> to justify you being can't able come to in here and just drop a six on it like this. You can't just drop a six Tell you, like you that. You can give a six if you want to on your first episode, or yeah. you can wait ten or more. Yeah, yeah. I just really like how it plays. If you put it on the table right now, I would stay up to play it. I just like the game. That's a big statement. It's a big statement. Wow. It's a big statement. I think that doesn't it's fun. sound like five territory. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. That's true. Would you play this game rather than watching Grey's Anatomy? Oh, that's a toss-up. You're not supposed to hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a five. <laughs> Actually, I probably would now because Grey's, it's running out. It um, proves it's a five and not a six, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I like the puzzle aspect of it. I like to try to fit pieces where they go, satisfy mm-hmm. the animals. I have also beat Chris at this game <laughs> a couple times, I think. More than so a couple. So any game that I can win against him is... I would say you probably have. I probably it. need to give it a six. You've probably beaten this game, beating me in this game more than I've beaten you. I would say you're kind of a savant at this game. What was your final number there, just for the record? I'm gonna stick with five. Okay. All right, I'm gonna All stick right. with five. Some some breathing room for okay. another yeah, game in to. a future episode. To. All right, <laughs> that's right. I know. Don't I know what it's to hold back on the six. <laughs> Don't get crazy. You want to go next, Jason? Sure. I also gave this game a five. It's relatively quick. It's simple. The ceramic animals included, despite the rabbit will appeal to a pretty broad audience. There's a lot to think about. It's a good puzzle. There's a good challenge here to figure out how to satisfy all the different animals. Tough decisions. I've enjoyed it every time I've played it. It's a solid game. Would happily play it again. Despite its snaking score track. Which I (laughs) forgot to mention as a con. I thought Habitats was a pretty cool game. I didn't mention it earlier, but I feel like this game also had a little bit more of a laid-back feel to it, a little slower-paced, a little less intense, and I I enjoyed that. Maybe that's not for everyone, but for me, I don't need every game to be a a brain-burner on a game night. You do that too often, it starts to feel like work. I think this game has some great decisions. Planning, and I don't hate that it involves a little bit of luck when an opponent takes a card next to you and it's replaced with exactly what you need, I'd definitely play Habitats again. I'd encourage other folks to try it out. So I'm also going to join the five train for (laughs) Habitats. I really like it. I think it's excellent. And I would also stay up to play uh, a round of Habitats. Let's do it now. I I also would choose Habitats rather than watch Grey's Anatomy. I can't believe it. Shocker. (laughs) I hate Grey's Anatomy. All right. I'm not going to beat around the bush here. I'm giving this game a five as well. This game is excellent. Yeah. This is a great game. This game has never failed. Every time I put it on the table, I play this game with many different people now, including my kids. I was going to mention that. Yeah, they love it. We played it with Knox the other night, mm-hmm. and he tied me. Nice. He got it. He understood it. I wasn't pulling any punches. I don't do that. Oh, my kids. No, he, he does not let his kids win. Crush, I crush my kids into powder when I play board games with them. I have no mercy on them whatsoever. But uh, yeah, he, he loved it. He tied me up, and it's just never missed. I know that's five, five, five for me, but whatever. My reviews, I think they're awesome yeah. games. Courtney's just a great designer, and this tile lane of 
connecting the needs mm-hmm. through tiles. You know, most tile laying, it's get this tile adjacent to this tile to score points. But that added layer of connecting through other tiles. Kind of genius. Oh, man. It's such a small thing, but it adds so much depth to being able to complete many different animals. If that rule wasn't in there, there's no way you would be able to complete all those animals. Right. Yep. Right. But because of the way you can string those tiles together, it enables you to put together some incredible point scoring mm-hmm. opportunities, which I love. So for me, five. Easy. Love this game. That's awesome. Cool. I think you mentioned this as another one of the ones that was getting reprinted, but where can we find it in the meantime? Yeah, if you want it now and you just can't wait, there are 11 copies on BGG, but as I mentioned, this is getting a reprint by Board Game Tables, and I'm sure that they'll do a knock-it-out-of-the-park job on the production if you want to wait for that one. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention about this game so a lot of you are probably screaming at your radio right now this game was remade as nova luna and that is correct this game was reworked by corne and uva rosenberg as nova luna which was nominated for the spiel des yaras in 2020. oh wow it did not win but it was nominated so you may be asking yourself, well, if I have Nova Luna or if I played Nova Luna, do I need habitats? Well, I can't answer that question for you because I've not played Nova Luna. But I did research on BGG, and from the many different comments I've read, it appears that they are different enough to where you could own both. And actually, most people seem to prefer habitats, and actually it seems that habitats is the more thinky and involved game. Wow. Hmm. cool. So again, I've not played Nova Luna, but from what I've read from people online, it seems that Habitats is thinkier and more preferred amongst people who have played both. Okay. So that's another good endorsement. You don't get nominated for the spiel for nothing. Well, it huh. feels like we have enough love for this game in this room. Maybe I'll pick up the, the new one when it gets printed. Yeah. We'll do a, a flashback to see how the new art looks. A one-year retrospective. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Habitats one year later. <laughs> if we make it that long. If we make yeah. it that long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, those are our final thoughts on Habitats. Well, thank you for joining us for this Corner of Unmortial Quality Games episode of Hidden Gems. If you like what we're doing here, please remember it's a huge help to us. And follow us on our various social media platforms. Check out the BGG Guild if you want to interact with us. If you'd leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or share a game that you think is a hidden gem. And until next time, I'm your host, Cameron. This is Chris. This is Jason. And I'm Talia. Thanks for listening. This episode of Hidden Gems, number 10, was recorded in Raleigh, North Carolina on June 17, 2021. Join us in two weeks when we talk about the history of the Spiel des Jahres Awards, run through a list of previous winners, and then review three Forgotten Spiel Award recipients. Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yonchliff. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist Caitlin Nieto. Check out her work on Instagram at It's Caitlin Nieto. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at Hidden Gems Board Game Podcast, Instagram at hiddengems.podcast, and Twitter at Hidden Gems Board. Disagree with one of our reviews? Have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today? You can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at BoardGameGeek.com. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search.
Hidden Gems, Episode 10, Tasty Morsels. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to be able to get through this. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Hidden Gems, Episode 10. God! <laughs> <laughs> Tasty Morsels, though, man. I'm trying real hard. I'm sorry. I think it's because Ty is in here. Okay. Hidden Gems, Episode 10. <laughs> <laughs> We've never had this problem before. This episode. Are we done? <laughs> Silence would in you, the room, would please. Would you like to share that with the class, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> trying to give you something. Can't try to read the credits. Trying to give you something for your bloopers. <laughs>